hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with renowned artist Jerry Pinkney, who's illustrated dozens of beloved children's books in a career spanning nearly 50 years. He's received numerous awards for his work, including five Caldecott Honors, Credit Scott King Awards, and New York Times Best Illustrated Citations, as well as the Caldecott Medal for his version of Aesop's fable, The Lion and the Mouse. Pinkney puts his stamp on another classic story in his new picture book, The Tortoise and the Hare, which will be published in October by Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. Jerry, thanks for speaking with me. Well, I'm, my pleasure to being here. You've retold and reimagined uh, so many classic stories and fables and nursery rhymes uh, over your career. Um, how do you know when you found uh, the story that you just have to dive into next? Well, there, I'm all, always responding to those stories because these are classics, so I mean that uh, I've, I've heard them or I've been uh, told them. Um, and so what I do is reach back to those stories, those classic stories that fired up my imagination uh, when I was growing up. Was, and I grew up in, in Germantown and a um, uh, section of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, interesting enough, my growing up years, uh, the, I heard about stories and folk tales, fairy tales through two different lenses. One was my mother who was uh, loved to read, and she would read the classics, the European classics, to me and my my sisters, and um, so we had that that in in place, and that the Little Red Riding Hood, and uh, some of the other, um, the Nightingale, and then I grew up um, in a neighborhood where mostly my um, neighbors migrated from the south, so they came. And they unpack the oral tradition of storytelling. And um, so there um, is where I heard the legend of John Henry, the Uncle Remus tale. So um, if you, uh, there's a thread that goes directly back to all of these stories, which I have reimagined, that came out of an experience of hearing these stories um, and, and how um, they enlarged and enhanced my imagination as a child growing up. So it's always that personal attachment. Okay. And, uh, you know, as far as this particular book, uh, The Tortoise and the Hare, can you talk a little bit about the way that uh, the message of this particular fable might be uh, especially important now? Um, you know, our culture has gotten very fast. Well, it's interesting. What I find about The Tortoise and the Hare is that here it had its value way back, you know, when. And here we're living in a time when our world is speeding up. Um, uh, no time to really uh, rest or uh, enjoy process, uh, and children getting caught up in it. And it just seemed to be such a perfect fable with its strong moral right now. And it's hard to believe it could have been even as, as important um, uh, uh, hundreds of years ago as we find today. So that also talks about these classic stories and the value in them. And they're, uh, they're, they're, they're always speaking to the time the reader is actually um, reading that particular story. There's something you hinted at in your artist's note in the book as well, but um, has it uh, has it been your sense that the the idea that slow and steady wins the race maybe also created at a certain point along the way a particular meeting and weight from a from a civil rights perspective? Oh, that's a very good question. I think one of the things that I find most interesting about about the fables is, is that it allows 
the reader to take some ownership um, in, 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 in parts of that, that fable. Uh, I think that's the power of the fables that, um, and, and the reason why there's so little text or no text is to allow that reader take ownership and find their story within that fable. So no, I had not thought about that. I thought about the technology piece, but certainly that's there. And what I hope for these projects is that someone like yourself will come in and say, uh, it, does this relate to the civil rights movement? Or are you responding to the civil rights movement? And I say, well, but yes, um, all these things. Um, and again, that's the power of these fables and, and the moral. You know, this is not a wordless book, but uh, but the only words in your version of this story are again that sort of cl- classic moral line that we that we all know so well. Uh, but what you've done is you've had the words uh, repeat themselves and start over in a way that completely sort of underlines and, and amplifies uh, their meaning. Um, was that sort of repetition and starting over uh, part of your idea f- uh, for this book from the beginning? No, not at all. And I think that's the mysterious part of that creative process. It came at after the dummy book was done and I thought about that possibility and went back to the dummy book that I had sort of laid out and it turned out that the word break was perfect and um, and that's the mystery and that's the wonder that uh, in this creative process that, uh, that, that sort of sort of takes shape as you work the book okay Talking about the artwork a little bit, I was curious, uh, can slow and steady also um, apply to the way you approach a book like this, given how sort of meticulous and detailed uh, your your illustrations can be? Well, that's that's very true. I don't I don't work with a computer. Um, the process is still with a, um, a, a a marker in the hand for the earlier preliminary sketches uh, through the finished art, which is pencil, watercolor on paper. I still go through the same process of, of stretching the watercolor paper, uh, and then um, um, and then reworking the drawings and applying um, the watercolor, and it's 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 applied in layers. So yeah, that's that's certainly part of it, and uh, it's part of who I am as well. This is my personality: is to actually enjoy that process, and and in many ways, the tortoise reflects sort of process. It, it's staying and sticking at something, no matter what the hurdles are. And uh, like many of your books, uh, the setting of this one is is very specific in some ways. Uh, in this case, it's. Uh, the southwestern uh, deserts of the United States, as I think you mentioned in the book. Yes. Um, you, uh, you mentioned also that this is a, a natural habitat for both tortoises and hares, but were there other factors that sort of led you to set the story there? Um, I started there, and I also, you know, one of the things about fables and, and, and the classics and, and the children's literature is that they um, they speak to everyone. So um, the sense that... Um, uh, this was not a rainforest, um, but this was um, the desert, which you find um, desert-like situations all over the world. Uh, so it, it brought a universal quality to it um, that no matter where you live, you might experience um, a desert-like condition. So that had that was part of it. So I looked up tortoise and the hare, their habitat, and then I looked at the many habitats of the tortoise and the hare around the world, uh, therefore making it, again, much more universal, much more accessible to everyone. 
were there others that were sort of in the running for a while or did you settle? No, no, no. I, I think the, one of the things that, um, and I, you know, I talked, spoke about it earlier is that <clears throat> I heard Aesop's fables were probably, uh, read to, um, to me by my mother, but there was also that parallel, uh, story of, um, of the tortoise and the hare that was, came out of the uncle Remus tales. Mm. So there was the there was the um, uh, the tortoise and the hare, which came out of Aesop's. My mother read to us children, and then the oral tradition of storytelling. Um, there is the tortoise and the hare and the uh, Uncle Remus tales. If you look at the use of the clothing, the personification, it has that kind of feel of. Um, uh, the characters that were um, that came out of the Uncle Remus text. So I was trying to, in a way, marry uh, this one fable in a way that suggests um, how I heard it. Um, now I don't really need for people to understand that piece, but that draw it was part of the driving force in the wardrobe, the vests and and the hats and all that came out of uh, that Uncle Remus sort of um, time period. Oh, it's interesting. I, um, when I was looking through it, I, I was I was almost getting a little bit of a uh, a 49ers gold rush kind of thing, and I was thinking about the gold rush gold rush as a race. But uh, the uh, the Remus connection makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. Yeah, but John, what you what what's, what's happening here, which is really great, is that it's opening it's opened up in a way that. Um, that allows you to take if you feel that that's um, part of this fable uh it doesn't have to be what i my intent it's what you derive from it what do you get out of it and and if you see the gold rush or you see the silver right that's even much better it's much better than if i could have planted those seeds in there for you to find but that's that's the reader's ownership and I work very, very hard to keep it open so that you can invest your imagination in something that I've created. Hmm. Well, um, to, uh, to change gears a little bit, um, I believe there's a, an exhibition of your work that's actually been traveling uh, for the past year or so yes. and is actually in display, as you mentioned, uh, where you grew up in Philadelphia. Um, how did that uh, together and come about? Well, it was uh, uh, curated and hosted originally by the um, Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And um, uh, Stephanie Plunkett and Joyce Schriller were the curators, and they had been very much interested in my work over the years. And um, uh, after, in fact, whether I would be willing to um, have them curate a sort of a retrospective um, of my work. Uh, and it starts, it goes, it's 50 years. Of, of Jerry Pinkney creating images, and um, and of course I I, I I jumped at it, and um, we went through the process of them curating and them spending days and hours in my studio in my home uh, to get 150 pieces that uh, objects that they felt represented my career, uh, stylistic changes, uh, manner of working. Uh, this show all speaks to that. And, um, uh, and with the intent of traveling it, well, you never know what happens when every curated show, um, is, which is initi- initiated by a museum, wants it to travel. 
Um, but this sort of caught fire in a kind of wonderful way. And it went from the um, Norman Rockwell to the um, Flint um, Institute of the Arts in Michigan to the um, Wright Museum in Detroit and then the Hudson River Museum in Yonkers, New York. And it's now at Philadelphia Museum of Art and it travels from Philadelphia to the High Museum in um, Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Now, one of the things that I noticed in some of the promotion uh, from the High Museum, it, it will be the first time that a children's book artist has shown in the High. And I don't want to misspeak, but I'm pretty sure it's the first time for the Philadelphia Museum of Art as well. So it's pretty exciting stuff, John. Very fantastic. Um, you know, I'm curious. You, you mentioned earlier you talked about a lot of the uh, the stories that have been read and told to you as a child. But you'd also written um, that the visual arts were not really a part of your upbringing, and that your family never necessarily visited art museums or galleries. Um, has it been strange at all then to see your works traveling the country from you know, museum to museum? Oh, it's it's quite wonderful, and and some of the. Um, uh, museums that have actually had exhibitions where I've, I've um, as maybe an instructor in art school, um, I have taken my students into these museums, into these spaces, and I would not have dared to dream that my works might be on those walls as well. So it's it's wonderful. Um, interesting enough, my parents were not museum visitors they or gallery so my first exposure to a museum was when i was in the art school the philadelphia museum college of art um but but when i unpeel those growing up years that that sort of creative drive was fostered nurtured and nudged by my my parents um um i was oh, we had the simplest of tools but we were encouraged to draw especially the boys interesting enough so that 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 those building blocks of um having to um invent and create uh, as a child because we made all of our toys um so there was always some sort of tool in hand either i was putting something together like model airplanes or i was putting something down with a pencil so even though the experience of the museum experience was not in place for me as a child, however, I did get instruction in uh, how to uh, how to invent. Hmm. And uh, you know, do you now get to spend uh, to get out and spend time with uh, children uh, to talk about your work at all with them? I I do, um, and actually, I'm in, in this past three years since the exhibition has been traveling. I got to to actually witness um, uh, workshops around my work, and that's pretty exciting. And I still get to schools not as often as I used to, and that may return after the busyness of the exhibition goes away. Um, but I find all of it fascinating, and and they are at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. They've got all these. Children children's workshops. I shouldn't say children because it's all ages. I see parents are involved as well. And some of the art and some of the 
things that are coming out of that, uh, which are, you know, uh, young people and, and, and their parents responding to what they're seeing on the museum walls, it's, it's quite wonderful and magical. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's been a few years uh, since you've illustrated uh, someone else's work. Um, I think the last book might have been Sweethearts of Rhythm by Mary mm-hmm. Nelson. Yes. Uh, do you expect you'll be doing more of that down the road, or are you focusing more on uh, books that are yours alone? I think what I'm focusing on would be more reimagining, although I'm working on an original story um, right now um, uh, that really, actually, I'm not sure if I could say original because it'll come out of my own experience. Um, And I'm sitting in that place where I know that there are new horizons out there for me, and um, I don't know what they're going to be. Um, I think that I will always try to leave room for working with someone like Marilyn Nelson, which was a concept that came out of a publisher that we all, we both um, uh, gravitated to. Uh, and not only that, but working with each other. So that's that's another, that's a whole other thing. I mean, that's still a tremendous amount of um, excitement of working and collaborating with someone um, that you respect and um, also love what they're doing. So that I will always keep open and we'll see where it goes excellent and i feel like i have to ask are there any other uh, stories or fables that you've been uh, itching to try your hand at or have that been bouncing around a yes there, there is you know this is very interesting i um when i did the lion in the mouth i said you know what that's on the top of the list i love fables by the way and um and i think it was 2000 when i did the collection of, of aesops um and I said, well, that's it. And then I said, well, I don't know. Uh, the tortoise and the hare is a really close second. Um, and, um, and I said, that's okay, that's it. And then that was completed. And I said, wow, the grasshopper and the ants. <laughs> All these stories, these fables wrap themselves around where we are today. And um, and not only that, I mean, these are stories that I, fables that I loved growing up, but the response to these projects um, is overwhelming in terms of um, uh, not only the excitement that um, uh, teachers and parents uh, have connected to the moral, but I found a way to deliver these fables in a way that engages becomes a little bit interactive um so who knows who knows well uh it's been wonderful to speak with you jerry and uh congratulations on well thank you john and exhibition uh once again i've been speaking with illustrator jerry pinckney whose latest book is a retelling of the tortoise and the hare which will be available in october from little brown thank you for listening to pw kids cast